Good morning. Philippians 1, 12 through 26 says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of the, the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of all, the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame. But with all full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Which, will, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. Hard pressed between the two, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the word of God. Good morning. It's already been a good service, hasn't it? Really have appreciated the worship today and uh, just Ray leading us. Man, for a Latin, you really lay it out there, buddy. I love that about you. That fire is in his belly. It's always been there as long as I've known him. It's been quite a while, probably 25 years or so, I would think, he and Helen. And uh, what a blessing. I... Uh, I also, I, I think at times we, we forget the, the amount of work that goes in every Sunday morning for them to set up uh, all of this. Uh, all the studio or all the uh, equipment that the team comes out and puts together. I want to thank each of you who participate in that ministry. Also those who set up signs out on the road they come in early, and we're always looking for others to help. Uh, Pastor Brenton could use a few more hands uh, to make a commitment, maybe once a month, twice a month, but to participate. But can we just thank the Lord for them? Amen. As we get into the Word of God this morning, 
I, I want us, uh, first of all, let me just remind you, we have these little scripture journals that you can pick up in the back. And uh, I think there's a, there's, they're asking for a donation of $5. If you don't have $5, you can still get one. And if you have a little more than $5 on you, maybe lay down another 5 to cover the person who can't afford it, okay? And, uh, but they're in the back. When I say scripture journal, let me tell you what I don't mean. I don't mean that you go in here and you find the scripture, you read it, and you go, now what does that mean to me? Who cares what it means to you? Because your opinion amounts to nothing. My opinion amounts to nothing. I need to study what God's opinion is of the text. And that's what we're doing. We walk through the scripture, and you're writing in in your journal. There's pages to write on. You, this is Rini's, so I, I need to check her out, make sure she's... Uh, but you write what the Lord intended to say. And then, do I measure up? So, so we use the journal in a different way. It's not for personal thoughts and ideas. It's, it's to understand the Scripture, okay? So here you go, honey. I know you're going to want to use that. Be kind, please. Be kind. Okay. Um, take your Bible, if you haven't already, and turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be like the men's ministry. Uh, they, they cover like one or two verses each time they gather. We're going to cover three. Woo! We're really moving along here in the book of Philippians. But it's all good, church. It's all good. I thank uh, Andrea for reading the text to us. Let's get started with prayer. Father, as we now lock into the Word of God, we, our hearts are attuned to what the Spirit might be saying to us. We thank you, Jesus, that you told us that the Spirit would never bear witness to himself. The service is not about the Spirit. The service is about how the Spirit will, will pull everything towards Jesus towards the gospel, and today now, turn our hearts and our minds toward you, Lord, by the work of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I titled this something earlier in the week, and Deb made sure to print it that way in the newsletter, but I'm changing the title, Avoid and Advance. That's the title of this message, Avoid and Advance. From our text, which was read to us, it's easy to see that you can measure a person's spiritual character, their spiritual strength, their spiritual maturity by what it takes to steal their joy. You measure your character in Christ. You measure your spiritual maturity by what it takes to steal your joy. If, you, if you're the type of Christian that begins to tank simply because life has thrown you a curveball, you are probably, that's a good indicator, you're spiritually weak. Now, I'm not saying that to condemn us. Those of you who are feeling a little bit of guilt right now, it's not guilt in the sense that I'm trying to condemn. It's simply the Holy Spirit that's trying to awaken us to our current state and challenge us to the next step, to move us forward. That's called, listen, that's called after salvation, sanctification, the ongoing process where I'm being conformed to the image of Jesus. So this is, a, this is an area in my life I need to grow. I want to become spiritually mature. Therefore, at what point am I weak? What is it that can steal or rob me of joy? And that really is what we're going to go after today is 
we're going to look at one thing. There's four, but we'll probably break those down over the next two to three weeks. I, I thought I'd cover all four. I'm not going to do that. We're going to cover the first one. The things that will rob us of our joy in the Lord. Now, this is real to life. This is stuff that you can apply in your life today from the Word of God. So here, here is what Paul knew. He knew that this life, this Christian maturity, this Christian witness needed to be in place even when times were tough. He kept his eyes on the Lord. God is always working, especially in times of difficulty. God's always refining you. God's always testing you. He's using us to do his great work. God's best work is usually done when things look bad. I want to say that again. I'm looking at all of Scripture when I say that. Old and New Testament. God's best work in us usually comes along when things aren't so good. Because when things are good, I'm not necessarily tuned into God all that much. I'm tuned into the things I enjoy. But when times get tough, what happens? You find yourself on your knees. Your heart turns to the Lord. You're asking for help. You're crying out for help. Now all of a sudden you've got Mickey Mouse ears listening for what God might say to you by his word. That you might be strengthened and encouraged and that you might receive hope and peace. Whatever your situation is. We grow when times are tough. So at whatever point your joy breaks down, that's the level of your spiritual strength. And the way to identify your level of spiritual maturity is how spirit-controlled you are when things go bad. When you find your joy turning to bitterness, when all of a sudden your, your encouragement becomes negative, a critical spirit moves in. Moodiness sets over you like a cloud. And you begin to lose joy in a significant way. The measure of your joy is how you react to the things that happen in life. Not, the, not to the things the way you'd like them to be, but to the things that you don't like them to be. That's the measuring stick, is how do you respond when it doesn't go your way? Now, understand, scripturally, let's get to the Word of God here. Scripturally, joy is the fruit of the Spirit-controlled life. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit-controlled life, okay? Galatians, if you want to write these down in your journal, your Scripture journal, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, Paul said, but the, spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love Joy, it's number two. It even comes before peace. And these are sequential. You can build from one to the next. It's like, a it's like laying the, the foundation. The first thing is love, then joy, then peace, then patience, then kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things like these fruits, there's no law. Go as far as you want to go with it. God's, he's giving to you liberality with your spiritual fruit. Joy should never end. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, and 7. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, and 7. Paul commends the Christians of that church for rejoicing in times of difficulty. Listen to what he said. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, 
for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. In your time of affliction, you were looking for the word of God. You were looking for sound teaching and doctrine, and you found joy in it so that you became an example to all the believers, not only here in uh, Thessalonica, but in Macedonia and Achaia. The word spread of how the joy of the Lord was all over these folks who were going through a tough time. You're, you're always to be a witness for Christ. So then he repeats the same measure of maturity in, the, in Philippians chapter 4 as he speaks to the church in Philippi. Listen to what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rest Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. This whole little book is about joy. So we're commanded to rejoice all the time in all things, in all circumstances, because of what the Spirit of God is producing in us. So you've got to keep the focus on the right thing. Don't get caught up in what it is you're going through. Now, I'm not saying ignore it. You, there's things you need to handle. Sometimes the reason you're going through it is because you didn't handle it the way you should have. And now it's time to pick up and get it done. But I'm saying that even while you're handling it, your focus is that God is doing something in me. He's going to mature me through this process. I'm going to grow stronger. I'm going to have greater faith. I'm going to become more patient. I'm going to learn how to wait on the Lord. I'm going to learn how to trust in the Lord. So I'm, that, that's, that's reason to be, is that not reason to be joyful? We ought to approach each day with a keen sense of understanding that the life that we're going to be living that day is not going to be preachy cream. Peachy cream. Let me say that again. Preachy cream. Wow. Peachy cream, okay? <laughs> All right, wait a minute. That's time for a swig. I clear the... Peachy keen. Keen. Peachy keen, not peachy cream. Okay. I don't know. I like cream on my peaches. Okay, anyway, let's keep moving, get back to the word here. It's not going to be, no day that you live is going to be perfect the way you like it. By God's design, you were not saved to sit. You were saved to serve. Every day you're a slave to Jesus Christ. Every day is an opportunity to do the work that God's called you to do. You were saved by grace. Praise God. We sang about that this morning. Ray did a beautiful job pointing us in Scripture to the freedom that we found in Jesus Christ. But friend, if you think you're just to sit back and twiddle your thumbs and enjoy life counting the dandelions on your front porch because you know you're saved, you got another thing coming. God expects you to get to work, to do his work on this earth. He wants us to serve him. James said it this way, that trouble comes in order to make you perfect. It has a divine purpose, so expect it and expect that God has a purpose for it which is good for you. He has profound purposes in affliction, profound purposes in trials and difficulties, and one of them is not to steal your joy. Not a single one should steal your joy. You have to rise each day with this perspective of understanding. So this morning, let's get into the sermon. I, I want to break down for you our text, these three verses. 
There's four altogether. It covers all the way down through verse 26. That's what was read for us, but we're not going to go that far. We'll read 12 through 14. We're going to hit the first one. This is one of the joy robbers. It's a joy robber. And Paul identifies these four robbers of joy. So to really grab the richness of this teaching that Paul's going to give, I think it's probably best to understand why Paul is even writing this letter to the church at Philippi. So hang with me for a second. Let's set the backdrop for what we're about to learn from the teaching of the word. It's been about four years since Paul has had relationship or connection with the church in Philippi. Philippi is not just another church that Paul ministered that raised up and then sent elders. And Philippi is special to the Apostle Paul for several reasons. One, it's the first church that he was able to see women come to Jesus Christ, namely Lydia and her household. It was a church where he brought Timothy the first time they ministered together. This is a very unique place, and Paul has a great compassion and sympathy in his heart for the people, and they for him. And now we're already realizing that four years has gone by, and then word comes to them, Paul is in prison in Rome. The reason it's been four years is because Paul has actually been in prison twice, both times for two years. And now he finds himself in Rome in prison. And they immediately get, get uh, concerned for two things. Number one, for the conditions that Paul finds himself in. They're very concerned for the Apostle Paul. But secondly, for the condition of the gospel that they know Paul loves to preach. If he's in prison, he can't preach the gospel. They're concerned. So what do they do? They gather money, a monetary gift. They put it in the hands of a member of their church named Epaphroditus. And they send Epaphroditus to Rome to go and see the apostle Paul, to deliver the gift and to find out how he is doing in his condition, and then to learn of the gospel, what's happening with the gospel. Because we know firsthand what the gospel did for us when we received it from Paul. We want to know that the gospel's still going forth. So they send this gift off, and they send Epaphroditus. And that's what generates this letter. Paul writes back to them after receiving the monetary gift and receiving Epaphroditus, who comes to be his companion to stand with him in his time. I love that. He stands with him in his time of trial in prison. I love that. That's why the greatest fruit of the Spirit is love. It's the first thing. These three remain faith, hope, love, but the greatest is, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. What's the first and foremost of all the when you think about all the, the do unto others and, and the ones in the, in, the, in the Bible that speak to Christian, the Christian, loving one another. It's the greatest thing we can do is love one another. And Paul's in prison now. And Epaphroditus is there. And Paul says, I want to write a letter back to my brothers and sisters in Philippi. So he writes this letter in response to all that they sent to him and the questions they had. Interestingly enough, Paul takes, his, takes their eyes 
off of their concerns and he places their eyes on Jesus. He takes it off of himself. He takes it off of how he's doing. He places it solely on Christ. He wants them to know that in spite of the circumstances that he finds himself in, he rejoices. Rejoice always in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. He's experiencing joy in prison on a daily basis. Why? Because though his conditions aren't ideal, the gospel is advancing. Don't let any joy robber steal away the joy that God has for you. Avoid the robbers. Advance the gospel. Please write that in your scripture journal. Avoid the joy robbers. Advance the gospel. This is what our text is all about. These three verses. We find these four aspects of joy in Paul's ministry. Let me just give you all four so you have them, and then you'll know what we're looking forward to next week, okay? So this week, it's, it's Paul had joy in spite of trials. Next week, Paul had joy in spite of opposition. There were people who tried to derail the ministry that God had given Paul. Tried to derail what Paul was preaching and teaching. Then thirdly, Paul had joy in spite of death. And then lastly, Paul had joy in spite of his flesh. So the first, trial, second, opposition, third, death, fourth, his flesh. I don't know how many weeks, if it's all four weeks or it'll be two weeks, I don't know. We'll see. We're kind of letting the Lord kind of lead us in this as we go. But today, let's focus on the joy in spite of trials. So what is the secret to joy in difficult times? Here it is. Remembering that God has a better plan than you have. You want the secret to a joy-filled life? Never forget. Every day, wake up realizing whatever my plan is, it's not going to be as good as God's plan for me today. We forget that. Verse 12, look at verse 12. Let's just focus in on these three verses. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that, that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What did he say in his first response to the letter? What's he saying here? He's saying, it's all about the ministry of the gospel. Every bit of it. It's about lifting up Jesus. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me has not served to make me successful, to give me more money to give me another car, to make me the head and not the tail in this world. That is false preaching happening in many pulpits today. It's not of the Lord. We're not here for our own selves to be serviced. We're here for the service of Jesus Christ. We're like Paul who saw himself in the bottom level tier of a trireme ship his oars sticking out to the side. He wasn't on the top tier. He wasn't on the second tier. He's in the bottom tier. What was his job? To pull his oars well. 
My job is simply whatever the Lord says, whatever direction he has me going. When he tells me to pull, I pull. I just do. That's why I'm alive, to be a slave for Jesus Christ every day. He says in verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He, he's made it known to all the people in the prison, especially the guys who are in lock and chain with him. They can't get away from the guy. He's got them for at least, at least six to eight hours. And he's letting them know, the reason I'm here is not because I did something wrong. It's because I am proclaiming the message of the gospel. I'm, lift, I'm telling you about Jesus I'm thanking God that he put me here locked to you so I can tell you, the, you about, I'm, I'm not sure all of them agreed with him, but it sounds like they did. They were getting saved. Later in, 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 in the, uh, Philippians, it says that even the household of Caesar was coming and visiting and being impacted by Paul. Wow! God does his greatest work when you're in trial. Why are you running from the trial? Why are you trying to just get back to this normal, fun life that everything goes the way you like? That's the way the world works. That's not the way Christians are to conduct themselves. Where's the amen? This is not my opinion. I'm standing on the word of God here for you. God is trying to reach you today, to wake you. It's time to pick up your, your ministry, sharing the gospel communicating the gospel with people every opportunity you get. He said in verse 14, and most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. So even the believers that have come, like Epaphroditus, they're seeing me functioning every day, tied to these guys, sharing Christ, praying with them, lifting them up, praying for their families. They're seeing the ministry, and these guys are getting pumped up. They're, they're gaining confidence. To do what? It says they're speaking much more bold, the word without fear. So you have an influence on other Christians around you. When they see you walking in boldness, sharing your faith, it, it bolsters their faith. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their... You have one if you're saved. And it's not 90% what you did before Jesus. It's 10% what you did before Jesus. 90% what Jesus has done in you since. So what if Paul had it, this, had it his way and was able to just keep on traveling to other parts of Europe, preaching the gospel and starting churches without an interruption? Well, for one thing, we wouldn't have the book of Philippians. We wouldn't know how to relate joy to trials. We probably would be spiritually inept. We would be weak in our faith. So Paul becomes the example, and then Paul preaches the example, and now we get to follow the example. See, there's a presupposition to this message this morning. I want you to write this down. Life is about ministering the gospel to people. The Christian life is about ministering the gospel to people. It's right there in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. This is Paul's greatest concern in his life, not being in prison, not whether he'll face death. His greatest concern, how will the gospel advance to more people? And I'm going to use every opportunity God gives me while I'm in lock and chain. And boy, he did. Here's a question for you. Are you consumed with the gospel message to reach people? 
had a wonderful conversation with Bruce before service. Bruce is one of our elders. And this week, he's known a, a Jewish man in his life for many, many years. And they've had many conversations. And this week, uh, that conversation took a turn. There was a need-to-know phone call from his Jewish friend. And Bruce had the opportunity to share even more the gospel of Jesus Christ with his friend. He said for 45 minutes on the other side of the phone, it was silence. The man was listening. That, that's, that's making the most of life, sharing the gospel with people. It doesn't always happen like when you first meet someone that you get the opportunity. It's smart, maybe it starts with just a friendship. You meet somebody. I was in the gym in Palm Beach Gardens, staying alive, gym. You know, I had a membership. I went down there, and I'm on that bike just doing my thing, and these two women came up on both sides of me, and they're doing their thing, and they're talking back and forth. And the one's a Jewish woman. And she finally looks at me and goes, so, so what do you do? I said, I'm a, I'm a minister of the gospel. Oh. She kept pedaling, you know, maybe even a little faster, you know, get away from this guy. We talked for a little while, and then I said to her, I said, hey, i got a question for you. I'm trying to figure this one out. So, in the Old Testament, God clearly prescribed by command that the Jews would have a blood sacrifice for the, for the atonement or for the covering of sin. I said, the Scripture says that, uh, that there, has to be the remi- for the, there has to be shedding of blood for the remission of sin. So, question for you. When did God lift that command for the Jews? Do you guys still do blood sacrifice? Oh, no, 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 no. No, the rabbis, we now have Day of Atonement. It it changed. Now we just try to remember to do more good than bad. It's a day of reflection. I said, but wait a minute. God said that blood has to be shed for the remission of sin. So is blood being shed by you just remembering? She got quiet. It stumped her. She began to realize, I think, My Jewish faith has begun to drift away from God and his command. See, as a believer, we know that the Jews should not have to, what, have a blood sacrifice by an animal because they should receive Messiah as the once-for-all sacrifice for all sin. But they haven't. And so we have to, we see, that's just another opportunity That's all it is, looking for those opportunities through the day that God might use. Uh, This is interesting to me. You know, it says he's excited because the gospel's being advanced. Remember, avoid robbers, advance the gospel. Let me tell you about this word advance in in the text, in in the Greek. Prokope. Listen, it's an interesting word. It's not just a word that means progress in the sense that something's moving forward. It has this inherent idea that something is moving along in spite of resistance. When he says that the gospel's being advanced, it's moving through resistance. This idea that, the, that every day sharing the gospel ought to just be easy. It ought to just be a skip and a jump, you know, to talk to people and just everything falls in place and they just get saved. No, no. This gospel advancement is through resistance. I'm not going to quit because, I'm, because there's resistance. I'm going to know that resistance is part of the experience of sharing the gospel. 
And this gospel is going forth. By the way, did you know that in the Old Testament, God used the prophets to communicate his mercy even while he was bringing judgment? See, this is the message that you're sharing, and this is why there's resistance. Because if you're sharing the gospel as it's given, listen to me now, if you're sharing the gospel as it is given, you've got to talk about sin. You've got to talk about the fact that nobody is righteous in God's sight. We're all sinners. We all stand in judgment before God because we are at enmity with God. And there's no way that we can get ourselves out of that state of relationship. It's severed. You're unregenerate in your state before you come to Christ. And therefore, because of that, there's no hope. There's not enough good works that you can do. There's not enough things that you can do to appease God. You'll never measure up to a holy God because you're a sinner. See, they ha- that's, listen, hey, that's gospel. Now, there is a part of the gospel before that, and that is that when God made man, he made him perfect, and he had fellowship with man. There was no sin. But man sinned in the garden. And because of that, we're all sinners. you got to share that. It wouldn't be gospel. It wouldn't be good news if they didn't know the bad news. See, a lot of places, a lot of people today, a lot of Christians, they just want to get up and say, you know, Jesus just loves you so much. He just wants you to accept him. If you'll just, if you'll just receive him today just because he loves you so much, Yet that's, that is not the place to begin with the gospel. So somebody who thinks they're getting saved because they just accepted Jesus, they never repented of sin. They never saw godly sorrow. They don't understand that they're at enmity with God. They need to know that. That's the first part of the gospel. And then you move into the good news. God had a plan. And it's better than our plan. We can never make ourselves right before God, but God had a plan that makes us right. His name is Jesus, and he's the second person of the Trinity. He was with God in the beginning, and he created all things, and all things are held together by him. And he came in the incarnate, fully God and fully man, and he lived a perfect life, never sinned, being tempted in all ways like we are tempted. But he never sinned, and he went to the cross, and God himself, the Father, poured on him wrath judgment, anger, because he took our sins upon him. What, did, what happened to him? First, God turned away from him. He forsook him. And then he put him to death. The Bible says in Isaiah, he prophesied that, that it pleased the Father to completely crush the Son on the cross. Not because he's a sadist, because he knew that that's the only way that those that he has called can be saved. They have to come through the perfect work of Jesus, the once for all sacrifice, the one who atones for, who substitutes for us on the cross. That's good news. Amen? So that if you believe, you first repent... You confess your sin before God, you repent of your sin, and you believe 
upon Jesus as God who died for you, who paid the price that only he could pay to cover your sin debt before holy God, you will be saved. That's really good news. That none of it's on me. I don't even have the faith to believe. God gave me that faith to believe. God did all the work for my salvation. I don't work for anything in salvation. I just open myself to it and receive by faith what God has done. And that's, listen, that's the act of the will. That's your part. That's your human responsibility to have faith in Jesus. You got to believe. But in the Old Testament, it's just amazing to me that even while God's sharing bad news, he's sending the prophets to tell them that they're going to now suffer. There's going to be a punishment. There's going to be a, uh, I'm going to judge you for your sinfulness. He judged Israel because they drifted away from him and took on other gods, worshiping false gods. And so God said there's going to be a judgment. But get, get this, but even in the midst of that, the prophets are saying, repent, turn back. God's, listen, the Old Testament isn't about a God who's just wrath. It's about the whole gospel. A God who is trying in his wrath, in his judgment of the people in the Old Testament, he was still showing mercy. He never quit. He continually shows mercy. In our day, it's not the prophets that are doing that. Guess who it is? It's you. It's our turn now. This is who we are. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, and Jesus came and said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's our turn to go and share the ministry of the gospel of Jesus with people. Old Testament was prophets. You're now doing it. You're the ministers of God, of God's gospel. And again, get this, and in the end, in Revelation, we see that God now brings the day of judgment against the people. And these 21 judgments are given out by God. And the last judges, uh, bowls that are given uh, are coming from the angels. And as they're pouring out these terrible things on the earth as judgment from God. At the same time, they're proclaiming he is just in what he's doing. He sent two witnesses, and these witnesses were proclaiming the whole message of the gospel that people might be saved. While they're throwing rocks trying to kill these men, he sent 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe of Judah, or from uh, of, of Jews. He sends it to them, and he's telling them, Go and share the gospel with the Jews. From the Old Testament, he's judging the Jews, but he's still showing mercy to the Jews. The greatest outpouring of Jewish belief in Jesus is yet to come on this earth. God never gives up. The Bible says he wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to eternal life. Well, that ought to be our message, church. That's what we're here for. This is why we exist as a church. This is why we're here. Let me close this down. God is a merciful God. Even in the gospel, when you're sharing the tough news, just remember that. You're going to be sharing mercy, the mercy of God with him too. You just haven't got there yet. 
So you hang in there. You share the truth. Listen, people don't get saved by how you say it. They don't get saved by you changing the word so that it's more palatable. They get saved by the gospel being preached, by the words of the gospel being preached. That's how people get saved. There's no other way. You got to do it. 2 Peter 3.9, write this down, 2 Peter 3.9. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness. What does that mean? It means don't think for a second that just because you're still alive, that God's forgotten about your sin. Judgment is coming. You want people to know that. If you really love somebody, you want to tell them the whole truth. You don't withhold that from them. If you say, well, they're my friends. These have been lifelong friends. We eat dinner on Friday nights periodically. We just are such good, couple, good, good friends. Have you shared the gospel? Have you told them that, that, that judgment is coming and that they stand to be judged and spend eternity in hell? Have you told them that? Then stop calling them your friend because nobody would withhold that from friends. Who would ever want their friend to die and go to hell? You got to take time. You got to love. You, you say, yeah, but they might not want to be my friend anymore. The gospel's worth the risk. You be faithful to the word of God. And by the way, God uses opposition. I don't know if you've heard that earlier in this message, but that's what God uses. You don't know how. They might knee jerk and react terribly towards you, but you don't know how the Holy Spirit will now take that in them and remind them of who Jesus is and what he's done for them. You just don't know. That might be the trigger that starts their search to listen to the voice that's coming to them as God's calling them. Just be faithful to it. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. Write it down. Romans 10, 14 and 15, two verses. This is one you need to get up every morning and remind yourself of. Because again, just like the prophets in the Old Testament, you are the ministers of the gospel in this in this age. And then at the end, it'll be angels. It'll be the, ten, the two witnesses. It'll be 144,000 Jews. But right now in this church age, it's you. Okay? Listen to what it says, Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? How do you expect your friends, your neighbors to know the gospel if you don't share it? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That's you. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? The Great Commission, go into all the world. You're sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Beautiful feet. What do your feet look like this morning? If we had you take your shoes off, some of you would say, I ain't taking my shoes off. But I'm telling you, spiritually speaking, if you're sharing the gospel, you could have the ugliest looking toes anybody in this room has. But you have, in God's eye, you have beautiful feet. Your feet should be beautiful. Those who carry the gospel have beautiful feet. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And I'll read, I'm going to read this, 10 through 20. Let me just read it. This is our closing. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, 
Paul is now summing up his thoughts to the church in Ephesus. And he takes them to understand this life and what this life is all about and what it is for the Christian. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of your might, his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Not fight against the schemes of the devil. I know people who want to just fight demons all day. That is not what the Christian life is about. It's about you sharing the gospel with people. When Satan shows up, take a stand for what you believe, but don't make him your focus. That's what he wants you to do. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's what you're going up against every day. There's a reason why there's resistance to sharing the gospel. For a lot of you, it's fear. Well, guess where that fear comes from? Not from God. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Don't back down. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. You want to know how you stand? You put on truth every day. Every day you're in this. You're building yourself up. You're growing. You're, you're understanding the promises of God. You're finding confidence in the promises of God to stand. And then having put on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm not walking today in my righteousness. I'm not going out today to serve the Lord so I can earn brownie points in heaven. I'm doing this because Christ paid the way for me to be righteous in the eyes of God. I've been justified. It's just as if I never sinned from God's view. And as shoes... For your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I'm going to go out with my shoes on. I'm going to share the gospel today. I'm going to walk in the peace of God today and let people know the difference that God can make in their life as they receive Jesus in his terms of peace. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. You ought to be praying that for everybody around you. I want God's word to come to you in those moments when you're with people this week that, man, the gospel's clear that you can share with people. You say, I don't think I can do that. I'm not like you, Pastor Greg. Thank God you're not like me. We all share uniquely. God will put the words in your mouth. Open your mouth and let the Lord fill it. One of the responsibilities of the Holy Spirit, you don't, if you want to know what the work of the Spirit is, you don't go off listening to some preacher you, you turn to what Jesus said in John 14 and 15 and 16 and 17. You want to find out what it's about? You'll find it right there. Jesus said he will bear witness to everything that I've said. Spirit never acts on his own. He never makes it about himself. When you're talking to people, it's not about spirit, spirit, spirit. It's about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And the Spirit's pushing you towards that. He'll give you what you need when you need it, for which I am ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So by focusing on the goal, what is that? Ministering the gospel to people each day, we can more readily see God's plan unfolding through our trials and circumstances. And that, my friends, 
brings great joy. You won't have godly joy if you're not godly focused. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. A word that doesn't just come to me and settle easily upon me. That makes me feel easy, makes me feel relaxed, makes me feel good. It is a gospel and it's a message of the word that does so many things. It, it rebukes me. It corrects me. It also exhorts me. It challenges me. It encourages me. It comforts me. The Word does all of that. And today we are so thankful that we've been challenged by your Word, looking at the life of the Apostle Paul, listening to the words that he penned under inspiration of the Spirit of God that these words would come alive for us like they did for the church in Philippi, that we may declare the word of God boldly and speak as we ought. I pray that in Jesus' name for every believer in this room, that this week would be a, a week of growth. One person is already at a certain level of maturity. May they advance even more. Another person is at a different level of maturity. May they advance even more. We prayed in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Listen to me. Very important. We have prayer partners. We have elders who will be at the front here after the service. If you need prayer for any matter in your life, they are here to minister to you. People is the number one thing. It's the only thing that this church is concerned about. We love you. We want to help you. So our elders and our prayer partners are here to help you. If you today have sensed the Spirit of God calling you, to salvation, and you have already recognized by the sharing of the gospel that I gave that Jesus is God and he died for you, and you, you want to receive him. Listen, you did. It's not some prayer you pray. It's not a hand you raise. It's none of that stuff. You believe in the gospel of Jesus, and you are saved. But if you want further explanation, if you want to share with someone that you just today received Jesus as your Savior because you've confessed your sin, you repented, and you turned. Listen, come on up. Tell them. They'd love to hear about it. They'd love to join you in prayer rejoicing over your salvation. And you know what? Come that week after Easter, we'll have you out here. We'll dunk you in that pool. That'll be the public profession of your faith in Christ right there. Okay? So today, thank you for being part of our service, church family and visitors. Thank you so much. Before you leave, it's so important that we love one another, all the one another's, and that's the number one, love. Let's do that before we leave today. Amen? Again, come and respond. We'd love to pray and talk with you. God bless.